0: Good morning, Kale. It's Mom, and I just want to know why you want to know all this stuff. Dad, you have a half-brother. You want to know what part of my research is challenging? Tracing my family's names through the Atlantic slave trade. It's just a bunch of names and dates. Champlain declared his hopes and dreams for a new settlement at La Cadie to a group of Mi'kmaq people, stating, Our sons will marry your daughters, and we will be a single people. Between 1604 and 1755, Acadians that settled under those hopes and dreams lived as neutral people amidst colonial strife that would eventually see them expelled at gunpoint without warning or preparation in what is now seen as the first government-sponsored ethnic cleansing in North America, the expulsion of the Acadians from Nova Scotia. lacadie is a place long gone. The remnants of its existence prior to the expulsion can be seen in a few memorials and markers scattered about the province of Nova Scotia. John MacFarager, author of the book A Great and Noble Scheme, offers two accounts of the origins of the name Acadie. In his first account, the name Acadie comes from the Tuscan explorer Giovanni de Verrazzano who was sailing for the French crown. Verrazzano was so taken by the beauty of the North American coast that he would, from that point on in 1524, refer to the place as Arcadia. After a prose pastoral of the same name published in 1502, this work is said to have popularized the notion of a rural golden age among the ancients. As a result, Arcadia appears on 16th century French maps and charts as the place name for the North Atlantic coastal region. The use of the term Arcadia on maps gave rise to its common usage amongst French sea captains and fishermen. According to this explanation, Lacadie was simply a corruption of the map label, Arcadia. In the second origin story of the term lakadi, parallels are drawn to the suffix akadi, used in the Mi'kmaq-Wisimk language meaning place of abundance. The suffix akadi is commonly used by the Mi'kmaq to mark important resource sites as in shunakadi, place of abundant cranberries, or shubanakadi, place of abundant wild potatoes. Faragir, argues, though, that the combination of these origin stories make the most compelling explanation, suggesting that it was the intercultural exchanges between French traders and Mi'kmaq hunters that spurred the shift from L'Arcadie to L'Acadie. I like this fusion of origin stories because it is in keeping with the spirit of L'Acadie, creating something new together. It makes the linguistic shift not a corruption, but rather a dream realized, an Arcadian dream that gave birth to Lacadie. Welcome to the Maple Family Trios. I'm Kale Sharman. Thank you for listening to this 13th episode, Arcadian Dreams. I also want to thank John Mack Faragher. For doing amazing historical research on Acadian history and culture. And what an amazing experience to pick up a history book filled with the names of my ancestors. I am overwhelmed with gratitude. Thank you, John Mack Farrager. A full reference to Farrager's book will be in the show notes for anyone interested. And I highly recommend this book, it is engaging and accessible. If you have Acadian roots, It is a must-read. I also want to thank the Mi'kmaq people whose traditional lands were shared with my earliest ancestors. In the spirit of Lacavie, let's continue the peace, caring, and sharing. I began doing this podcast with the intention of answering the question, how did I get here? And in this episode, I bring to you another migration story that contributes greatly to answering this question. Prior to putting together this episode, I had no idea that I am a direct descendant of many of the original Acadian settlers. The first permanent European settlers in Lacadie were a group of families, mostly French Catholic, but not all, who arrived with a set of skills and grit that allowed them to set up a new home and coexist on a new landscape with Mi'kmaq people. One memorial plaque lists 58 Acadian family names as they appeared on a 1671 census. Of those 58 names, 30 of those names are part of my family tree. With so many Acadian stories to tell, There will be many future episodes on this topic, but I had to choose one story to focus on today. And that story will be the seer branch of my family tree because it most vividly represents the unique culture in Acadia, as well as the devastating effects of the expulsion. The family name seer is one of the oldest Norman French names that comes from the borders of Normandy and Brittany. It is recorded in history to the year 1000. Pierre Cyr came from Touraine, France, a town just northeast of La Rochelle, the port that was often used to sail to the eastern coast of Canada. He settled in Beaubassin-Lacadie. A census from 1671 indicates that Pierre was 27 at the time of the census, and he was married to Marie Bourgeois, who was 18. They met in Lacadie and were married the year prior to the census. Pierre worked as a gunsmith. They already had started their family and their son Jean was three months old. Guillaume Sieur, my seven great's grandfather, was born in 1680. Guillaume lived his entire life in Beaubassin, Lacadie. Guillaume created quite a nice life for himself. And we have glimpses of that life from the records of Robert Hale, a trader who would come to the region on business. When Robert Hale of Massachusetts was in Beaubassin on a trading venture in July 1731, he recorded his daily routine in his journal, boarding at a little inn run by Guillaume Cyr and his wife, Marguerite Bourg. He joined the family in a Sunday dinner of bonnie clabber, a type of fermented raw milk, soup, salad, roast shad, a type of large herring fish, bread, and butter. Their diet was rich in protein and fat, as well as stone ground whole grains, and included plenty of cabbage, turnips, and fresh fruits and vegetables in season. The church also played an important role in Acadian cultural life. During his visit to Beaubassin, Robert Hale watched as Father Jacques the Laclaches, accompanied by a sexton ringing a small handbell circulated through the village each day on his way to celebrate Mass at the chapel of Notre-Dame du Bon Secours, which had been rebuilt after Benjamin Church burnt in 1696. Hale was surprised to see his hosts, the Sear family, on their knees each morning and evening saying their prayers. Hale was surprised because innkeepers of the day had notorious reputations. Priests complained that Acadian inns and taverns remained open on Sundays, doing business during the celebration of mass. One missionary reported that not only were men and women seen dancing after sunset, but they could be heard singing chansons lascives or lascivious songs. For two generations, the Sear family settled into new routines of their family business. It is the third generation of the Sear family, Paul, my sixth great-grandfather, that would experience the Acadian expulsion. Paul and his family were forced onto a boat headed for Boston, Massachusetts. They eventually made their way to the French islands of Saint-Pierre and Miquelon. Paul died there in 1772 his family had to resettle once again due to the limited space on the tiny French islands. They moved inland where there was more space for the family to resettle. Paul's daughter, Louise Cyr, my five great's grandmother, married Etienne Venu and settled in Quebec City. Now I wanna give a shout out at this point to Etienne Venu and his family. Etienne is my sixth great's grandfather. Etienne was born on December 26, 1755 in La Rochelle, France. He was born in France because his parents, Jean Venu, Marie J. Bourgeois, like many others, were boarded onto ships headed down to the coast during the fall of 1755, but were turned away. With nowhere else to turn, the ships brought the Acadians back to France, where they stayed for a short period of time. So while Marie was seven months pregnant, she crossed the Atlantic. And if that is not a testament to how tough Acadians are, I don't know what is. The following two generations made their home in the Magdalen Islands in the Gulf of the St. Lawrence Seaway. Louise Cyr and Etienne Vinou resettled once again on the Magdalen Islands to raise their family. That is where their son, Jean Edward Vinou, started his family, which included Henriette Venue, my four-great's grandmother. It is unclear when or why Henriette relocated, but her son, Vilbon Talbot, was born in Natashquan, Quebec. Sometime after Vilbon's birth, the family relocated to St. Theophile, Quebec, on the border of Maine. It is here that the family began to really set down roots. Villebon was an iron worker who helped to build a church in town that still stands to this day. My great-grandmother, Thèse Talbot, was born in 1878 in saint theophile where she lived her entire life. The first generation to live in one place since Guillaume Cyr, who was born in Beaubassin before the expulsion. In 1680. It took a hundred and fifty years for my family to finally resettle permanently. Taze Talbot and Edward Chamberlain raised my grandfather after his mother Alice died in childbirth. My grandfather lived through the Great Depression, World War II, and the 1950s, a decade that sparked the quiet revolution in Quebec. He would relocate his growing family to Megug, move to Toronto, then to Windsor, Rochester, New York, and back to Windsor, Dearborn, Michigan. After that, he became a snowbird upon retirement, living partially in Windsor and partly in Florida each winter. He lived for a short period in Manitoba before passing away in Sun City, Florida in 2007. While he made most of his moves for work and later pleasure, it seemed as if moving around for my grandfather was home. No matter where my grandfather went though, he always returned to us for short periods of time. Windsor was a home base because it was where most of his children were at the time. What this family history tells me is that it takes two key ingredients to set down roots. A connection to the land you live on, and two, connection to people who know the land as well as you do. If you have those two things, you can provide for your family in a way that fulfills your soul. What made the Acadians so successful is that they had knowledge, skills, and alliances that immediately connected them to the land. A lesson that their Mi'kmaq neighbors knew all too well. In fact, It was support given from the Mi'kmaq people that enabled the Acadians to survive initially. The first few winters were hard. It took a few years for their dike systems to build soil that could support healthy crops. The thing that made Lacadie possible, working together. Perhaps this is why the Acadian motto is strength through unity. Thanks for listening to this 13 episode of The Maple Family Treehouse, Arcadian Dreams. Oh hey, before you go, I want to introduce you to my 12 greats grandfather, Louis Hubert, who was widely considered to be Canada's first apothecary, as well as the first European to farm in Canada. He was born around 1575 in Paris to Nicolas Hubert and Jacqueline Pajot. He married Marie Rollet in 1601. In 1606, he accompanied his cousin-in-law, Jean de Biancourt de Poutrincourt, at the Saint-Just, to Acadia, along with Samuel Champlain. Yeah. He lived at Port Royal, now Annapolis, in southern Nova Scotia, from 1606 to 1607, and from 1611 to 1613, when Port Royal was destroyed by the English deputy governor, of Virginia Samuel Argo. In Quebec, his apothecary and small store of grain from a gristmill he built were life-saving. He bare succeeded in clearing and planting some land. Champlain, on his brief visit in 1618, found cultivated land filled with fine grain and gardens that produced a wide variety of vegetables. In 1617, his wife, Marie Rollet, and their three children, Guillaume, Guillaumet, and Anne settled in Quebec City, where he passed away in 1627. Statues of Louis Hubert, Marie Rollet, and their children are prominent in Parc Montmorency, overlooking the St. Lawrence River in Quebec City. Thank you again for listening to the Maple Family Treehouse, episode 13, Arcadian Dreams. Join me Tuesday, March 8, for the next episode. Cheers!